Welcome back to another episode of Chalk Talk. Today, I am joined by Coach Brez. We are super excited to kick off another episode of our EDU-style podcast. As we do navigate this conversation and any others, we always encourage you to check out previous podcasts as these really do build off of each other. So however you get them via YouTube, however you listen to your podcast, go check out previous episodes as we're continuing to add to a great library for coaches, teachers, and students to really learn the knowledge and language of fitness and fitness education. So we'll go ahead and get this one started. This is Chalk Talk presented by Platform. Let's go. mentioned we're kicking off another episode with coach brez today coach brez and i are going via zoom today so it's a little bit different for us but the same edu great stuff that we've been zipping forward so we are talking about mobility today mobility today and hopefully i get that word right because we're going to be saying it a lot it's something that we hear and talk about all the time it's kind of one of those magic buzzwords of fitness on talking about mobility so i think i know it coach brez i think we use it a lot but I think what's going to be really important is we define it so that we understand what we are talking about and what we aren't talking about, because I think mobility sometimes gets tossed around in the wrong context. So let's talk about mobility in general, and then we'll kind of break it down like we always do. Yeah, no, I think that's a good place to start because it is one of those things now that is super popular, very buzzwordy. And then uh, I think we can all basically know it when we see it or we have certain connotations for what. Uh, mobility means, uh, but when it comes to defining it in the most literal sense, uh, a lot of us have a struggle. And I would you know, admit that it's even something that, um, you know, when, when I sat down um, to kind of, you know, go through materials, uh, you know, relevant to this in terms of researching and, and doing stuff for, you know, programs related to mobility is kind of have to take a step back and look at it a bit more um, scientifically, and I don't mean, you know, diving into you know, data and studies, but thinking about it in a more, you know, definitive standpoint, like what, what, what are the components? How do you define it? How do you train it? You know, go through it in a very sequ sequential order. Um, and, and that's the only way that you can make mobility make the most sense and become part of what you do, whether it be you know, personal fitness or performance. So I think it is a good place to start. Um, I mean, I, we all know it, like, right, we have movement gurus on, um, Twitter, we've got things like Romwad, we've got uh, foam rolling that's before, during, and after workouts that you see no matter what gym you walk into. Um, you know, there's all these like movement hacks and tips that you'll see all over the place. And it kind of all falls under the umbrella that we all think of as mobility. Um, generally, something that is incorporated into a warm up or into a uh, cool down or in a, you know, recovery session. Um, which is good because it's, you know, this falls on the, the heels of our conversation, you know, last time, which was around recovery in general. So a lot of the same kind of topics uh, apply here today. Um, but what is it really before we talk about the application thereof? I think we should start out with the solid definition and, and work to build off of that and understand, though, that when we, you know, give this definition, this is something that, um, is not you know pulled from the encyclopedia of fitness that is widely accepted it's you know where we approach the concept of mobility and where i think most people would um but uh, i just want to make that caveat that it's not necessarily something that is you know a uh, stamp of approval by every you know fitness professional or institution across you know across the country but uh for us 
Mobility would best be defined as the ability to voluntarily move a limb or a joint through a functional and the entire functional range of motion um, with complete control. And so I'm going to pause you there. there. I'm going to pause you there because you said a bunch of different things, but I think it's good to restate it because it's, a, I, mm-hmm. in my opinion, a great definition because it kind of will help us as we get into some of the things we sometimes get confused with what mobility is because of some of those different parts. So voluntarily move a limb or joint through its entire functional range of motion. And the biggest part to me, as you just mentioned, is entire functional range of motion with complete control. And that complete control part, I think, and I I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it kind of gets into that next part that we kind of talked about touching on is flexibility sometimes getting crossed over with mobility. Cause when I think flexibility, it's, Oh, so-and-so is super flexible. So they can drop down in the bottom of a squat or anything else like that. But sometimes flexibility and mobility get kind of lumped together, but might not always be the same. And to me, it's almost with that complete control part that we're talking about being kind of the delineation. So that's a great definition. I think I'm going to say it one more time. So we're all kind of on the guiding principle, the ability to voluntarily move a limb or joint through its entire functional range of motion with complete control. So with that, you didn't use the word flexibility in that definition. So what is the difference between the two? Is there a a helpful way to look at mobility versus flexibility so we can kind of break those two apart as we, we sometimes often kind of lump them together? Yeah. And I think that's a, a, that's a great point. It's something that we should just kind of dive into briefly um, because they are related, right? And I think you you said something where um, often we kind of you know see somebody do something limber, and we say either oh they're very mobile or they're very flexible, and we often use those terms um, synonymously uh, when in reality, at least for the purposes of understanding like what you're doing, why you're doing um, certain things, it's worth separating them, defining them each individually, and understanding how they kind of interact. So. Um, as I said, they're often considered synonyms, but more specifically, flexibility is just the ability of a muscle to stretch beyond its resting state without pain, right? So, you know, when you do a, a toe toucher or any other one of those static stretches, you feel discomfort in a muscle because it's, you know, stretching beyond um, its comfort zone. Um, it's being passively stretched. You, you know, it, you're not moving a limb necessarily. It's just moving a specific muscle. And in more specific states, they've actually showed that you don't really lengthen muscles. You actually just develop a neurological tolerance to the stretch. So you don't feel pain because um, your, your, your body essentially, it can move the muscle, you know, through that full stretch. Um, but it doesn't necessarily know that it wants to. So it will freak out until you've trained it to understand that it can stretch that far. Um, so that's where the pain comes from. And, you know, you're not doing damage necessarily. Your brain is saying, hey, well, stop. We don't want to stretch that far. But you can train it to stretch farther and farther without pain. And thus, if you can stretch a muscle through or a lot of muscles through a larger range of motion, then you are going to be able to move through larger ranges of motion in many different movement patterns, right? So, um, so that is obviously, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, you paused and I thought I had a good kind of question I think maybe would help kind of hammer this home mm-hmm. is does, where does static stretching fall in? Because I think that's one where we will talk. Like you could look at three kids and you say bend over and touch your toes and, and you know, one can, one can't and the other's maybe somewhere in between. 
and that's a stretch, for example, is that something that would be considered in the mobility category, the flexibility category, or is it kind of like that blur of like, it's a little bit of both depending on how they're performing it? Yeah, you will. Yeah. So the answer to that is basically what you just stated last. And if you'll allow me, you know, the, the bend over and touch your toes is actually probably the thing people think of most in terms of, you know, flexibility training or static stretching. But in reality, that's as much a mobility item because of the way your pelvis has to move and yeah. everything else. But if, if, if you allow me, let's think a static stretch instead of something uh, I think a lot of us have done where you lay on your back and either with a band or somebody else, you have that leg lifted. Yep. All right. Basically, you know, you have assistance to lift that leg through as much of a range of motion as you can. And you eventually get a stretch through your hamstrings. Um, that is flexibility. Whereas if you don't do it with assistance, if you just lay on your back and raise your leg as far as physically possible, that's more an expression of mobility because it's a voluntary controlled movement that you are driving. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll notice that you probably have less of a range of motion when you're doing it without assistance, right? Because that's your mobility. Flexibility though, when you, um, you teach the muscle to stretch beyond its you know, comfort zone, can improve or increase your total range of motion in something more uh, mobility focused, if you will. Sure. So almost the idea or the expression, I think back to the part I picked apart a little bit is like that control piece is you're trying to control your leg to come up when you're doing it on your own versus you're using maybe some assistance or some other things to get that stretch in to work the flexibility piece. So just one last piece before we move on. What, is it fair to say though that flexibility is though a component of mobility? Like, is it live under the umbrella of mobility in some ways, but it's not, they're not always the exact same things? Yeah, it's a, it's a big piece of it. It's a component of mobility. So, you know, mobility is a dynamic expression of the ability to combine flexibility with strength and neuromuscular control, right? Gotcha. So, flexibility is a big piece. It's not, not important. We talk a lot about you know, the benefits of stretching, static stretching, and, and other, you know, maybe more dynamic um, stretches, but it, it's a big piece, but it's just a piece of a larger puzzle when it comes to, you know, true mobility. Gotcha. Awesome. I think that's a good, helpful breakdown to start the full conversation, because I myself will sometimes use those words kind of intertwined or like just kind of swap them out without even realizing that there is some differences and, and sure. it depends on what we're talking about. So that's helpful throughout that kind of first stab of the conversation. You, you talked a little bit about range of motion um, and the ability to move into certain ranges of motion or not. Um, I think that's a good segue because a lot of times we hear ROM or we see it spelt out ROM or sometimes just range of motion for whatever it may be. And I think this goes back to different movements, range of motion and, and how that applies to the mobility or maybe so lack thereof. A lot of times we talk about range of motion and immobility and people's you know inability to maybe get down into the bottom of a squat or be able to move in certain ways because of their you know, lack thereof. So talk to us a little bit about kind of range of motion and immobility and how this kind of works into the conversation of, of mobility itself. Yeah, I like that because really I, I like to think that it's easier to visualize and understand mobility in reverse by looking at very obvious examples of immobility. I think we all can very easily um, see, uh, you know, an example of immobility. You know, for example, if you have an an athlete that um, may or may not be able to get to or below parallel on a squat, right? You know, if, assuming that the per uh, that person has enough, 
you know, basic um, strength to move through the, the complete range of motion. Um, you know, some you know, new, brand new trainees might not have that yet. But assuming that you, you do, um, if you can't move, you know, through that range of motion that we've all identified as you know, desirable or, or doable, um, you have a very clear uh, example of immobility. Um, and then you can start thinking about, all right, well, where are the immobility issues that are kind of holding back my mobility? You know, in a squat, there's a lot of different places you got to start looking. It's, you know, is it the ankles? Is it dorsiflexion, the ability to drive the knee, you know, over and past the toe? You know, you could have flexibility issues in the back of um, the lower leg. You could have um, structural issues at the ankle, impingements. They do, you know, joint distractions. That's what you do when you put a band over the ankle and walk out away from a rig and you're trying to separate the, the ankle joint to create more space and allow for your greater range of motion. Uh, motion. Maybe it's in the hips. Um, it, it could be a lot of different things, but it's a very obvious expression of immobility. And thus, you can kind of look at that as the flip side of what mobility is, the ability to move through the entire uh, you know, desired range of motion on your own, right? So it's the ability to actually get down and get up out of a squat rather than just can I have somebody, you know, raise my leg up, you know, as far as it goes before I feel, you know, kind of uh, encumbered through a stretch. Yeah. And I think I like the squat example a lot because a lot of times, you know, especially with younger athletes, they can squat down to the bottom of a squat, but they lose a lot of other stuff because right. they might have you know, certain mobility in some areas and lack thereof in others. And they kind of skip steps or, you know, their knees are going in different directions, but it allows them to kind of get their butt down to the bottom of the squat. I see it all the time with some of the younger kids that I coach that are freshmen, sophomores that are, you know, can kind of get away with things. But going back to that, like true definition of mobility, it's kind of nice to know that like we're asking and tasking, you know, a whole range of muscles and joints to work together not just kind of like sneak in different ways that you can get things done. So I think the squats, a great example is the way you were talking about it. We're talking about all of those kind of boxes being checked. And then can you perform that kind of range of motion that we were talking about? Not, you know, the only goal on the checklist is can you squat, you know, to depth or whatever it may be, because all of these other things have to happen with it and it becomes that combination. But we've all seen the kid who is doing all of the things right as well and just cannot will themselves to get any lower and then some of those other kind of diagnoses or whatever else you were mentioning is where it kind of then comes into play a little bit more. Yeah. And the squats, I mean, we could probably spend an entire episode just talking about how to use the squat as a very loose, um, you know, mobility screen, as you said, you know, ankle mobility might not be a problem at all and they can you know, drop hip level as far as they want, but either like the upper back thoracic spine collapses because they don't have, you know, upper, thoracic mobility or shoulder mobility or uh, the knees cave because they, you know, don't have mobility about the knee slash hip, AKA, you know, either the, um, the external rotators of the hip can't turn on or there's a structural issue. And that's where, you know, mobility, you might use one movement, but it's mobility about any given joint. So you can look at like total body mobility and that's sure. obviously comprised of a lot of different um, specific joint mobility pieces. And I think that's the important part because um, what I think many people realize without realizing is that there are a lot of different reasons that any given joint will lose its ability to move through the fully intended range of motion and become, you know, compromised or immobile. 
And there's, I mean, literally tons of different reasons. It's going to happen to most people at some point. I mean, it's daily life, posture, um, you know, or just the activity of whatever it is that you do on a, a daily basis, the rigors of you know, daily life. It could be, you know, the stress of training, um, acute injury. Um, there's a lot of things that can happen that, that change the way your body moves. Because you would have to remember, we're, you know, we're natural organisms, we're organic, you know, things change based on what we do. Um, so, right. And I think it's helpful to, to know that it's a fluid thing that you could be, it's not like, oh, I'm super mobile today. So it's a guarantee for the next three, four, five, six weeks. It's an active expression of always kind of working towards it throughout our daily lives. Like you mentioned, posture is a great one or whatever it else may be. You know, sometimes it could just be, you slept on the wrong side of the bed and you got up and, and are feeling, you know, some sort of immobility because of however that is as well. And I think an important point, and I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off and I'll let you keep going, but I think sometimes we try to compensate for some of those things. And I, I'm sure you're going to get to this, but I think right now it's probably helpful to kind of talk about that a little bit because like a lot of times because we're immobile, we lack certain ranges of motions and maybe certain muscles or joints, we kind of task because we're this kind of fluid organism all working to try to get certain tasks done to compensate. And are there kind of downfalls for that? Or it's just, hey, I'm not super mobile in this area and that's okay, I'm never going to be. I'm just gonna always compensate on these other things. Does that make sense? No, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's absolutely where I was gonna go next because uh, there's a serious issue with um, not call it treating mobility problems in that um, you're always going to kind of trend downwards from there because think of it, think the most extreme case we can. Let's say you have ACL um, surgery, reconstructive surgery. We all know that if you're in a, a brace rehabbing from, you know, a, a acute injury and subsequent operation, you are going to experience a drastic reduction in mobility about the knee. The knee does not move through its intended range of motion fully, but your life continues and your body is going to compensate whether or not you know it. And I think that's the important part you mentioned, like we will compensate. Well, you, you might not compensate your body will, you will think that you are doing all of the same right. things that you used to do, but you're going to do them in a different way. So you know, take the ACL injury example, you, you know, as you gain the mobility back in that knee, your body is essentially going to be turning off certain muscles and turning on others either at that exact point or elsewhere in your body to allow you to move through the ranges of motion that you are asking it to do. And the moment we allow that to continue, you're going to find yourself you know, not to be, you know, uh, apocalyptic, but in a world of hurt down the road, mm -hmm. because the more that your body is asked to compensate and use muscles nearby or far away, up and down the kinetic chain that it's not meant to use during that range of motion, you're going to set yourself up for injury, small or large down the road elsewhere. Um, and so, you know, not only does immobility in the kind of the broadest sense, you know, increase the likelihood of injury, um, it's also very much going to decrease performance in any way, shape or form, right? Because you're not going to move in the most efficient manner. If you're not moving through the intended range of motion with the intended musculature, it's not as efficient as it could be. So you're at, at best, 
not going to operate at max mobility and at worst just going to set yourself up for problems down the road. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point in terms of understanding that you're not saying to yourself, you know, net, like consciously all the time saying, Hmm, this part of my body is somewhat immobile because of whatever reason. So I'm going to tap into these other parts, but I'm going to be super careful doing it. Sometimes your body just does it. And so in athletics or anything else like that, you know, if you're on the field of competition and all of a sudden you're, you're, lacking mobility in some form or fashion and you're getting pushed shoved or doing whatever you're going to compensate without even realizing it and i think that's where as you've talked about in previous episodes and different things you you lead to maybe some risk of injury or or putting yourself in a compromised position whatever it may be I, i think we could probably spend a lot of time giving all sorts of different examples and i think as we go through this whoever's listening whoever's going to try to you know convey this to other people are all aware of different immobilities they might have personally or they see all the time you know just the example of sitting in a chair all day and and feeling what that might happen in terms of the immobility that will come from sitting stiff or or slouched over or anything else like that so i think the next kind of segue if you'll allow it is almost thinking about fixing it in a way or working to improve it because it makes sense to the degree of we know ourselves we know what might be immobile but it's how do you actually deal with it? Like, how does it actually get better? We said it's not the static thing. I'm mobile or immobile. You can get immobile pretty quickly. How can you fix the mobility itself or work towards that side of the equation? Yeah, and yeah, we should. And I'll jump into it in just a second. I, one thing I did want to mention, though, is I think what we tend to forget or maybe just don't understand is there is no such thing as a body that's just completely inactive. Right. So you mentioned that sitting at the desk, I think people think like, oh, if I just sit here, then like, you know, I'm, I'm basically stuck. The issue is like any time you are in a position, muscles in your body are turned on. So to sit hunched forward, everything up here is actually contracting and everything back there is relaxing. Yeah, that's a good And point. thus you're going to have a whole bunch of weak, inactive muscles in the back and you're going to have a bunch of tight, overactive muscles in the front. And despite thinking that you haven't asked your body to do anything you are asking your body to do something all day long which is going to add up to those immobility issues that we see so it is important yes everybody knows like oh my my, maybe my shoulder mobility is not great well to your point of how do you fix that well let's also remember what's causing it right so we don't want to just work on you know the hacks and the, the fixes after the fact remember that every time you move every time you move in the, or every time you're active, you want to think about being in a balanced, proper, um, efficient position so that you're not setting yourself up. Like a fix might be fixing your posture over time. Yeah. Um, so it is important to know, I think, you know, you're not just inactive all day. Yeah. And I think that's helpful, especially because, it's that consciousness that I said, you're not always conscious of, but it might be beneficial to actually be a little bit more conscious and be deliberate in the way you move or the way you sit or the way you walk or the way that you do your daily activities and thinking about how it does affect those different types of things. And it might feel silly, especially with the audience. We might be trying to convey that to in middle or high school students. But I think what you just said is we are doing something when we're sitting, it's whether we're doing the good thing and drawing your shoulder blades back and sitting up straight or allowing yourself to do that other part of it is a, is a really great point. I think that that helps put it into context. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, when it comes to, you know, actual mobility training, like once I've gotten into the gym, like I know I have an issue and thus 
I can't reach overhead because my thoracic spine is super immobile for whatever reason, sitting, injury, or whatever. Um, there are certainly things we can do and should do on a regular basis. And that's why you see all of the foam rolling and the, um, you know, you know, movement drills and hacks. And, and it, it is a, you know, important part of training. So I think diving into the, the what, why, and how is, is probably the, the important next step for sure. Awesome. And I think that's helpful to know that we're not only just talking about fixing mobility in the gym, but outside of the gym. And, and you mentioned that at the beginning, and now we'll kind of get into the gym. And obviously we don't want to be putting band-aids on things um, and just fixing them. As, and that's a good caveat to just kind of jump into it. But you mentioned foam rolling, you mentioned a few different other things that kind of talk into mobility training itself. I don't know where you want to start, but I think this is a, a nice way to start thinking about, all right, let's work actively to improve mobility or, or kind of address it. So if we're immobile, if we're feeling like, hmm, I'm struggling in certain things, we're obviously not going to break down every joint muscle in place. You could be feeling immobile, but maybe some more kind of blanket umbrellas of, of those kind of different categories that we consider mobility training to be. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you hear this all the time, like, I'm going to do a little mobility. Okay. Well, like, wh what do we mean? Like doing mobility? What does that, what does that mean? I think mobility training or mobility work is all about any sort of, you know, uh, making an effort to restore the natural range of motion to a joint or proactively making sure that you don't lose it, right? So it's, it's an intentional effort to um, restore or um, keep the natural range of motion of, of any given joint. There isn't just some, you know, blanket mobility that you do for your whole body. You're going to have targeted work for, you know, whatever, um, you know, movement of the day requires movement about a specific joint or a joint that has had issues and you want to fix. So foam rolling is a very good first example because it's probably what a lot of people think about other than static stretching, right? With regards to um, mobility work. Um, and essentially anything foam rolling is, you know, self-myofascial release, which is anything, you know, lax ball um, or any one of those instruments um, that is basically self-massage. Um, and we've talked about this in a lot of different podcasts, but just worth reiterating, what you're essentially doing is trying to, um, in a very targeted fashion, restore range of motion about a joint by one, breaking up, you know, uh, the adhesions that again, we've kind of come to find to be probably very accurate, not just kind of a, you know, wives tale myth, um, because, you know, the structures around a joint, you know, the muscle, the connective tissue, it's all supposed to glide, you know, very freely. And if that gets kind of gunked up, um, you're going to lose mobility about a joint. So, um, you know, whether it be because you squatted heavy and your, your hips are a little tight because it's kind of just gotten uh, a little, um, you know, junked up in, in and around maybe your glutes or your hamstrings. Um, releasing those adhesions and allowing the muscles and, and connective tissue to move again is a good kind of call it more of like the quick fix. If you have something very targeted as a reason, very targeted as a result um, and a fix is foam rolling. Um, and, and I will just add, and I'm, this isn't a super scientific example, but I think it lends credence to why people associate it at least is like, you think about how many people go, Ooh, I got a stiff back and they grab the foam roller and they're just sprawled out over it and trying to roll out their stiff back. Now, whether or not that's actually addressing their back or whatever it else may be, it kind of clicks in a lot of people's minds that, oh, I have a, 
a muscle or group of muscles or area that's feeling stiff or immobile. So I'm going to grab the foam roller. And I know that one's an oversimplification and probably not always the, the actual fix they want to go for, but is an example as to what people kind of know, like this feels good and it does make it feel like I'm opening up or it's maybe rushing some blood to that area or whatever it may be. So, well, but that's, well, so that's a really good example. And I'm glad you said it because I was going to go next is, you know, whether or not you believe in fascial adhesions, it's a little bit of a debate or whatever. Um, another potentially very real reason that foam rolling can um, improve your, your feeling of mobility. Like you said, I roll out, oh man, my back's no longer tight. Well, what is tight? Well, tight is an overactive muscle. So if your back feels tight, that means things are clenching and squeezing. Yeah. And foam rolling um, can operate much like a lot of different things that uh, you know are used throughout you know, fitness and, and training and, and rehab and um, PT, which is, call it like the umbrella of active release um, techniques, right? So it's where you, you know, press on a point and try to move through a range of motion and it effectively turns off um, the muscle that is neurologically overactive. Um, and that's why, so, you know, lower back um, soreness is often because the lower back is being asked to, you know, uh, bear the brunt of some sort of movement more than it should because something else isn't working appropriately. Something else is turned off. Um, and when you take a foam roll or a lax ball or any one of those routines, you're actually working to deactivate overactive muscles. So um, you actually feel the kind of the release that lower back is no longer clenched and it might not last forever, but you can very much see the difference, you know, before and after. And that's why people feel like, oh, rolling is such a good mobility tool because it, it is a kind of a quick fix in some, some um, you know, facets because you've created a problem and now you can go turn off that problem. But the issue remains that if you continue to turn on that problem, and that's why it's not just about foam rolling, right? We can turn off those overactive muscles, but if we just don't, if we don't find a way to avoid continually turning on those overactive muscles, right? Like this, if yeah. you don't find a way to avoid continually over um, activating, then we're going to continue to have those problems, but active release. That's why, um, RPR, so, uh, oh boy, reflexive performance reset, I think is the, the big one right now, um, which is like Cal Dietz and uh, a couple other big time strength coaches. A lot of people get certified in it, which is that basically active release um, kind of progression. I'd actually, I'd actually love to dive into that myself. Uh, neurokinetic testing is another one, uh, which I've done, I've had done, and I, it's, it's not fake because you can see it happen in real time. Uh, but it's the idea of being able to restore the proper connection between your brain and the muscles. Turn off the things that aren't supposed to be on right now, that feel tight, that feel overactive. Turn on the things that are supposed to be on so that when you move, you don't compensate that way. Yeah, it is. Um, that one's interesting. Right. That one's interesting in terms of like trying to like hit a certain muscle, target a certain muscle, like kind of hammer it and then see if it changes. And you can see them. Like people will say like, do a sit up. Then we're going to activate something. Now we're going to try it again. We, I, we did that in college as well and gave that a go. And it is a very kind of cool concept to explore, but I think that one is probably a little bit harder to, to enact in your everyday lives, especially if you're kind of working on your own or whatever it may be. 
Yeah, you're not going to, yeah, you're going to have to have somebody, you know, work with you, but the principles can be applied in a little bit more of a looser uh, individual sense where if you have overactive, you can identify the overactive or somebody can identify for you. You can find ways to release through med ball or through med ball, through lax ball or, or foam rolling progressions. Um, and then as we'll talk about later, there are ways to activate neurologically certain muscles. Again, this is, there's debate amongst fitness professionals, but I think there's something there. Um, and I think we all know that cause you can feel it. Um, so that's why, you know, foam rolling, you know, just to wrap it all up is, is definitely a way in which we can, you know, it's been proven to increase range of motion. Like we, we, again, I, I hate, I shouldn't say proven. It's been uh, shown to, um, probably improve range of motion on a, a pretty significant degree across enough, um, evidence that you can say that, you know, doing it will, at least short term, improve your range of motion about a joint, which is why it can be used to recover from activity or warm up for activity. And it's a, it's a good mobility tool for sure. Absolutely. Great. And obviously we've kind of weaved a lot of them because a lot of times they do overlap. So that's a good kind of foam roll. Static stretching is one that we talked about a lot in this episode already, but we've also talked about it in previous episodes, but it kind of goes back to that flexibility component. And we talked about it being a part of mobility, right? So it's a, it's a piece to the equation. Um, what does that kind of involve in terms of improving it? I think we, we often see people go to the foam roller and then very next hit some kind of static stretching before they jump into whatever it may be. And, and we even talked about it in the warm up episode and different things like that in terms of all the different pieces is static stretching kind of that next step or in terms of fixing things or kind of mixing it in or how does, how does that kind of in, involve all of these pieces itself? Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't place it in any sort of order in terms of steps, but it is another component to mobility. As we said, you know, flexibility is an, an important component. Um, so chronic static stretching or flexibility training will uh, help improve mobility in total just because you're able to move all of your muscles through kind of maybe their greatest range of motion without pain and thus that's no longer a inhibitor of movement if you are if you have super tight hamstrings it's going to limit the range of motion that your legs can move through either at the hip or the knee or anywhere through some range of motion. You don't necessarily know which one it's going to in inhibit, but it's going to play a factor because tight muscles just not going to allow movement somewhere, right? So flexibility training obviously over time can help uh, eliminate those issues. And then it's also been shown as a potential kind of deactivator of overactive muscles as well. If you have super tight uh, active hip flexors, a stretch can do um, kind of similar things um, to foam rolling. So that's why, you know, people talk, you know, if you sit at a desk all day, you sit in a chair, essentially what you're doing is, you know, using your hip flexors in a shortened um, capacity. And so you need to make sure that you kind of turn them off. And, you know, a simple Samson stretch does that. And people say, if you sit at a desk for a certain number of hours, you should you know, get up every two hours and stretch your hip flexors for, 30 seconds. And that's the reason why you just need to turn everything back off after having turned them on for, for such a period of time. Right. Nice. That's, that seems like an easier one to kind of check the box and cover. And then next you've already talked about, it. I don't know if there's anything else you want to get into with activation, but you know, obviously there is some debate here on that one and, and we already touched on it a little bit, but not sure if there's anything else you want to add in on, on that part of it. No, I, I look, I, you know, 
I would personally say, again, this is just my personal opinion, that activation is as big of a piece of the mobility puzzle as the deactivation, the rolling, the restoring of range of motion. You lose range of motion when your movement patterns are thrown off, and that's often simply because of compensation. Um, if you can't get your knees out on the squat, again, this might not be the reason, it's one of the potentials, is maybe your, your glutes are not really firing the way they should. Again, this is something that people debate on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else, but I can say with at least personal anecdotal evidence that it is something very real in that if you don't have those uh, muscles firing, um, you're going to compensate and you can turn those on. I, you know, um, you know, our uh, esteemed um, head of uh, sales here, uh, Coach Ian Bonner, uh, says he loves activating the core before squats because he feels far more secure and stable um, rather than just jumping into heavyweighted work without it. Um, I'm very much the same way. And if I don't work, you know, glute activation specifically, I will have low back soreness the next day or the next two days without a doubt. Like that's not, I know that after years of, of um, you know, basically testing. Um, so activation is kind of the way to, the other side of the coin is if you want to avoid having to restore range of motion is making sure that you have activated everything so that the movement pattern you are performing is operating appropriately and you're not compensating um, for that movement, which could lead to those issues where you have overactive, tight, um, you know, sticky movements, you know, down the road. So I think activation's a big piece, at least personally. Um, again, there's debate there, but yeah, uh, I'd argue that it's a, it's a really big, really big piece. It's why we do things like band pull-aparts, right? You are activating the musculature in the upper back thoracic spine that is turned off all day long. Uh, and we're making sure that it is both strong and durable and, and you know, can, uh, you know, basically show muscular endurance, but also that it's, it's on before you do something heavy pressing, maybe. Sure. Um, so that you don't compensate. If you don't turn that on because you've sat like this all day and then you go, bench press or pull, like you're going to potentially set yourself up for a problem. Yeah. I think that's the easiest way to look at it. And you just threw a lot of different examples around. And a few of them are things that I do myself. And I think a lot of people do is that they feel as if, you know, I could go do a lot of movements at the snap of a finger. It's not that you can't do them. It's just that you're tasking certain groups or certain areas more than others because you haven't turned others on if that's like kind of the, the simplest kind of delineation is deadlifts a perfect example for me i could pick something up off the ground you know 10 times out of 10 but activating certain muscles through warm-up or through different things that we've talked about in the past is going to allow me to do it more efficiently so that i'm not you know keeled over the next day with that lower back problem that we've we've added too much stress and i think that's helpful so that almost segues or i don't know if it does into the last one a little bit in tour in terms of some more like mobility drills almost a little bit more of like the practice of it um, and, and moving through different things, not so much the static, but more so kind of that active in a lot of different ways. So how do mobility drills themselves apply in, into this kind of greater conversation? Yeah. I should say before I even mention you know, the more specific examples, just doing air squats could be considered a mobility drill, right? Because you are voluntarily and with control moving through complete ranges of motion. So movement, right, could be considered movement, uh, mobility drills uh, of any kind, so long as you are driving the movement, you are thinking about how you are moving, you're trying to move through a complete range of motion, but, yeah, you know, 
if you want to get more specific, right? Something as simple as leg swings, you know, standing up against a wall and moving the hip through a complete range of motion forward and back and then side to side is taking all of the things that we just did, deactivating, activating, stretching, and then putting it all into practice, putting it all into play and moving the joint through the intended range of motion. Um, and it's just like, um, you know, squatting for sprint, squatting and, and doing um, plyometrics for sprint speed. Well, you actually still have to go run, right? Like you've turned everything on, you've made it more uh, applicable, you've made it, you've made yourself more able, but now you have to go do it. Um, and that's where mobility drills come in. It could be something like PVC pass throughs and around the worlds, right? Like it's all well and good to do all, all the things like I've, I rolled out my lats and I, I turned on this, that, and the other thing, but I still can't get through a PPC path through because you actually have to go out and do it. You have to try it. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think, I think that goes back to the original point too, of sometimes just squats or whatever else performing different movements are in a way acting and working towards mobility. One I always think of is like the front rack position. There's a million different ways you can hammer home a front rack position before you even are holding a PVC pipe or a barbell or, you know, hammering out your lats or doing a lay and pray stretch or all these different things, but sometimes quite literally doing an actual front squat or push press and forcing yourself into that front rack position is going to be your best medicine sometimes into improving front rack mobility. Now, obviously you don't want to risk injury because you're so immobile that you're all over the place, but sometimes all of a sudden when you start a front squat, let's say you're doing a five by five, I'll just use the example. I start, you know, with my elbows a little bit low. And by the time I'm kind of feeling good, you can feel that mobility improving and the elbows higher. And I think that's a good point is sometimes, especially in middle and high school, we see immobility and we want to stop everything. And, and we see a lot of people on Twitter say, Oh, that person is doing X, Y, or Z completely end it. And I think as we've talked about, and we see other coaches describe, sometimes it's okay to not be, 100% perfect in mobility or anything else like that. So long as we're keeping kids safe and moving and, and know that we're actively working towards things in some form or fashion. Well, it's funny you say that because in reality, there are a lot of coaches that would actually state that the best uh, flexibility, mobility improver or uh, practice is heavy weightlifting um, because it's actually going to force your body essentially through the complete range of motion because you, you have no choice that that squat's going to that weight's going to push you down into your squat and it actually can improve your range of motion just because you have put it into practice and you've done so with call it assistance by resistance right um and i think that's that's a very important point to make is we can do mobility training loaded unloaded um a heavy front squat is you know as long as you are again like you said safe it is a good mobility enhancer. It's, you know, why we like overhead squats unloaded. It's like we like front squats loaded. It's why we like using, for example, one of the big things that people do for like a mobility activation, mobility drill, um, position work is grab a heavy kettlebell and just sit in the bottom of a, of a squat, mm -hmm. right? It's just going to hold you down in that position. It's doing a lot of those things all together. And I think that's probably the best way to kind of wrap everything up is understanding that mobility work is a huge umbrella, right? Yeah. It's just about movement and you can get very targeted. Like, Oh, there is an issue with this joint. There's immobility here. And it's because of, you know, this thing that I can hit with foam rolling. It's because of this thing I can hit with activation. 
um, or it can be full body mobility. And I'm just going to work my, you know, my movement pattern of the squat, or I want to get my depth uh, right, or I want to grease the groove before weightlifting. And I'm going to work, you know, a heavy goblet hold in the bottom um, to just turn everything on and get myself, you know, mobile and ready to go. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of spans that entire spectrum. Yeah. And I think that is a good way to wrap up. And you know that I love the highlighter question when I say circle mobility for me on a workout or anything else like that. But I think as we've done in this episode, you know, you could circle mobility work when you're sitting in a chair and working to, you know, sit up with good posture as I'm now trying to do, as we've mentioned it or whatever else it may be. And I think that's a helpful one in, in terms of putting into context, whether it's a warm up, a cool down, the, the actual kind of meat and potatoes of a workout, there's all different points where we're technically, you know, quote, working on, you know, mobility, unquote, in, in a certain way, form or fashion. So the, the original kind of wrap up question I was going to ask you, is it worth our time? Is it real? Should I kind of be working this into my daily life? But it sounds to me as if we're doing that, or we should be doing that naturally throughout our entire day. It's just how kind of deliberate we are within and intentional within kind of mobility training itself. Absolutely. I mean, it exists regardless of whether or not you think that you are a big mobility person or not, right? It's existed forever, you know, static stretching, flexibility, moving through um, compound movements and total range of motion has been part of weightlifting forever. It's things that we do on a regular basis. You go into any warm up today or 30 years ago, people were doing mobility. It just might not have been, you know, labeled as such. Um, mobility as kind of that, you know, fitness buzzword is probably just that smaller subset of, you know, foam rolling and, um, you know, maybe mobility drills and activation stuff, like the more kind of, I don't know, marketable um, pieces or the cooler, sexier looking hacks. But mobility training is really just, um, you know, mobility is efficient, pain-free movement. There's a lot of ways to go about getting there. Um, and it's absolutely a valuable, valuable tool. And no one thing is a be-all, end-all. Um, and it's about finding the right place for the right pieces. And, you know, you, you want to talk about it in the more kind of, you know, conventional or maybe colloquial sense of mobility, you know, um, it's worth, you know, fixing issues and preventing them, um, uh, you know, through proactive work, do it before and after workouts, make it a part of recovery where it's appropriate. Maybe you roll and stretch then make it a part of warmups where it's appropriate, your activation and your drills, cause it serves two purposes. Um, just make it work for you. And I think as with everything that we talk about, you got to try things. And I mean this in the, like you personally and you with those that you might train or work with, you got to try things, try them for an extended period of time, see what works, see what doesn't. Um, and, you know, kind of curate your approach over time, you know, with the, the information that you get. Yeah. And I think that's a helpful way to look at it, especially for even myself thinking about as we approach kind of a new coaching year. And, and for me about to jump into a season, I'm thinking, all right, I know certain kids are going to come in having been sitting at home, kind of quarantined and not doing anything. And we're getting a chance to come back in. What are some things and ways that we can kind of mix it in and, and not lose sight of it and just assume it's going to get better without kind of putting a little attention on it? Cause they are high school kids and they're not naturally going to just, you know, apply it on their own. So I think the takeaway for me, and I think the takeaway for anybody listening is there's something that we can consider under that, as you mentioned, umbrella that maybe we have tried, maybe we haven't tried, maybe we want to give a shot depending on that group or audience or, or how it works. So that that's, I think for me, super helpful. Anything else you want to add or, or, or put under the umbrella of mobility that we haven't talked to, or is that a pretty good summary as it were? 
No, I, I think that was pretty good. I can't speak to whether or not I was super cogent on the entire um, topic, but uh, I thought we, we covered everything that uh, I was hoping to. Lovely. I think so too. And, uh, you know, maybe we, we should spend time away from each other, Coach Brez, because this might be a, a record for uh, uh, episode length since the last few episodes, we didn't, we didn't hit that hour mark like we have been of recent. So, you know, maybe, maybe it just is, you know, the, the virtual way that, that helps us. So with that, we'll pause, we'll wrap up a lot of this information. And a lot of what we talk about mobility is often wrapped into a lot of our programs themselves. We talk about it within our programs. We talk about it within different articles, different pieces that coach Brez has put out on mobility and its subsequent parts. There's a lot of information on this past just this podcast. So if this has sparked your interest or you have other questions, there's a lot within platform, the exercise and resource vault and, and everywhere in between. So don't feel as if this is your one-stop shop. I'm sure if there are parts that you, you're still interested about, there's other places you can go and check it out. So with that, we will wrap up. Thanks again to Coach Brez. And remember here at Platform, it's always in pursuit of better.